Would you like me guys to start with the story? Oh, please. Yeah. As is tradition now. That was a really interesting way of asking that question. Would you like me guys to start with a story? It's like a, a pirate. <laughs> R. <laughs> Would you make like a tail? <laughs> How about a shanty? I already fucked it up. Brilliant. <laughs> no, I would love a story. I'd love a story. Yeah. All right. Dawn breaks on the morning of March 26, 1997. A mansion stands in eerie silence as a pair of San Diego County Sheriff's deputies step from their vehicle. An early chill rolls through the hills as they stand by their vehicle getting ready to execute a routine checkup after having received an anonymous tip. Nothing seemed out of place, nothing out of the ordinary anyway. Just a prank call probably, the deputies thought. Kids love to send them out knocking on doors first thing in the morning. One deputy takes a sip from his coffee while his partner eyes the mansion. It's a grand Spanish-style villa, not exactly uncommon around these parts. They walk up the orange steps to the front door, taking note of the silence as they do so. It's an eerie silence, the kind that reverberates through your very soul. Something just didn't feel right. There's no other way to say it. One deputy knocks on the door while the other peers through a window to the side. No answer. The deputy moves to another window. He calls out to his partner that he thinks he can see a figure laying down on the floor, but they aren't moving. The other deputy pulls at the handle to find it curiously unlocked, and after a slight push, he finds himself in the entryway. The other deputy enters from behind as well. They step timidly into the first room together to find themselves completely startled beyond belief. Multiple bodies arranged with deliberate care lay in repose dressed identically in black shirts and sweatpants, each wearing a pair of new black and white Nike decades. Purple shrouds cover their faces ritualistically. One deputy steps outside to call for backup and medical aid, while the other walks from room to room, counting the deceased. 39 bodies in total, of various ages and differing sexes. On their sleeves, patches read, Heaven's Gate Away Team. The deputies leave with a set of deceptively obtuse questions that now plague their minds. What drove 39 people to commit mass suicide and what on earth was Heaven's Gate? Welcome to The Red Thread, the podcast series where we explore and investigate the weird world of cults, conspiracies, cryptids, as well as cold cases. I'm one of your hosts, Jackson, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow co-hosts, Isaiah and Charlie. Uh, we're here to hopefully answer those questions for those deputies out there who, still, who might still be wondering and discuss uh, the formation of one of the most prolific cults of all time, one of the most well-known in that of Heaven's Gate. Uh, before we begin, though, this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Rocket Money and HelloFresh. More on them later in the show. So, boys, how are we doing today? Doing great, Jackson. Thanks so much for asking. <laughs> it's so did you, hot. Did you enjoy you story that? time? That whole that whole <laughs> intro is so hot. You, you, you do such a good job at that. Every time yeah, I'm like, ooh, will we find out? I want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I really take you back there. It's like you were one of the detectives. I struggled with this one. I'm, I'm going to be honest because I, I wanted to put people in the, in the shoes of the event, but then I realized that would be in the form of potentially a cult member that has, uh, you know, taken their own lives. Did you make that pun on purpose in the shoes of the, in the shoes? 
I did not. I make so many puns that I don't realize that I'm making them. Nearly 99% of my puns are not intentional, I promise you. <laughs> I just fall into them. I, I want Luckily. the audience to know, like, if they thought, like, the last couple episodes were intense with research, I want you to know that Jackson put together a 24-page docket about Heaven's yeah. Gate. Which, this one's like, very thorough. Yeah, <laughs> there is so much here, boys. There is literally so much history in Heaven's Gate. Twenty-two years of events and and manipulations and cult teachings and stuff like that that I felt were too important to leave out. It's it's just I mean when you think about it, twenty-two years uh, summed up in twenty-four pages, that's not bad. <laughs> that's pretty. That's, that's, that's pretty. pretty it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm certainly proud so, of you. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I wanted to take this before we actually get into, uh, you know, Heaven's Gate and and all the events that surround it. I wanted to uh, thank the audience, really, because these last few weeks of Red Thread have been absolutely beyond belief. We charted on the Spotify charts at number two, I believe, is the highest we got, which is just incredible. So thank you all very much for that. I'm sure the boys echo my sentiments yeah, here. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, still in disbelief yeah. by it. It's overall, like, of all genres, number two in the United States. The only person ahead of us was Joe Rogan. That's insane. I mean, yeah. Like, by just the hair, too. We were, we were biting at his heels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, feel like there's, I feel like there's something... Uh, there, there might be a conspiracy of, of Spotify's own making there. I believe that they've just planted him at the top because they paid him $200 million of exclusivity and they wanted to make it look good. Maybe yeah. maybe that's uh, a topic well, for a future episode. Well, if they give episode. us two hundred and one million dollars of exclusivity, we'll be their number two plant. So, yeah, well, we can yeah, take yeah, it. yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll let that happen Absolutely. for two hundred million dollars. <laughs> it's such an obscene amount of money. There's no way that they made their money back on the Joe Rogan. No, absolutely. Oh, no they way. will though. It's coming. Yeah. Well, no, it, they they won't make it back because we're not. If take we have anything Charlie. to say about yeah. it, yeah, we'll take we're, Joe Rogan's audience, <laughs> and we're doing it for free. <laughs> we're gunning for that bald guy. We'll get him one day. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be fucking awesome. But for but for real, th- thank you, thank you, everyone. It means the world. You guys are fantastic. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it really you. does. The support was incredible. So, Heaven's Gate. How much do you guys know? I asked this at the start of every episode, just to kind of get discussions going. How much do you guys know about Heaven's Gate? I know pretty much everything about, but not anything leading up to it. Oh, I, sorry, I can't use that word on YouTube. I know everything about the the shedding of the mortal coil moments, but nothing leading <laughs> up to it. <laughs> <laughs> the unaliving i think unaliving is fine i think that's what i'm gonna okay i'm gonna refer to it as uh, um I'm, yeah so I'm, that's I'm obviously the f- most like oh sorry go ahead sorry go I didn't, no 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 you, <laughs> no, you jackson you take we're stuck in a loop uh yeah so that that's obviously like the most famous part of it because it's not every day that a cult does end in a 39 person mass Stop. That was you, definitely you. Just used the word again, Voldemort's name. Yeah, uh, thirty-nine person mass unaliving that mm-hmm. made the news. That's so, a close one. Yeah, that doesn't ha- <laughs> that doesn't happen all the time. I'm just gonna bleep it. People will understand the context. Uh, so yeah, pe- like obviously that's what drove Heaven's Gate into the cultural zeitgeist. Like it, it was basically what made them famous. Um, because obviously something that sensational is going to cause it to be, you know, sensational. So. But there, there was a lot of history before the source, the unaliving as well, that 
led to a lot of different media picking up on them. So they were they were to some degree well known before before their mass unaliving as well. How about you, Zaya? What do you what do you know? I'm uh like Charlie. I'm familiar with this uh, with the um self lifting to a higher plane, as they would probably call it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I'm familiar with that. Uh, and like the, the weird things they did around it, like the clothing, the, the apple seeds, stuff like that. I'm also vaguely familiar with their doctrine. Like, uh, I know they were a doomsday cult. I know they took a lot of inspiration from revelations. Um, I know that they thought there was like a sort of last chance for followers to get to heaven, so to speak. Hence why they go by heaven's gate. Um, so I, I understand how their doctrine led up to that, but I'm not familiar with the actual foundation of the cult itself. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the foundation is quite interesting because there's a lot of a lot of different events leading up to the foundation itself, the formation itself. Uh, it, it basically takes a pair of very, let's say, eccentric and potentially extremely mentally unwell individuals. And it's essentially a perfect storm of delusion where they feed into one another that creates what would then become Heaven's Gate. So I think at the center of this story, it's a tale of two... Uh, very interesting, let's say, individuals and how they kind of interacted and shared uh, ideas that would then become a doctrine of a cult that would then, obviously, 20 years down the line, lead to the mass unaliving of 39 individuals. And so it's it's very it's a very interesting story, actually. Um, and it all starts with the founders, like I just said. So I, I wanted to maybe start the episode by kind of digging into them individually before the cult so that we have an idea of who was running the show yeah do it you got my permission <laughs> you have my blessing <laughs> continue all right so so let's start let's start with marshall right marshall herf applewhite he was uh he was one of the main he was the main instigator of of the cult which for one, for, like from the jump, that is an incredible cult leader name. Like he was kind of yeah. predestined for it. Marshall Applegate <laughs> or Applewhite. Like that's insane. Applewhite, yeah. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very like noble sounding name. <laughs> like <laughs> as a gentleman or a scholar, I, I would imagine, I would imagine him to be like very, uh, yeah, well put together. It sounds like the name of royalty. Anyway, Marshall was born on May 17th, 1931 in a place called Spur in Texas. He grew up in a religious family, the son of a Presbyterian minister, and he showed an early interest in music and theology. Of course, of course, theology makes sense given that he was the son of a Presbyterian minister. Mm -hmm. He studied at a uh, seminary, so he was going through a kind of theological education, um, but then he kind of pivoted to doing more music-based stuff because that was his passion, I suppose. He also briefly pursued a career as a professional singer, but did not make it uh, to the big lead, sadly, so... Uh, that's unfortunate for him. Imagine the world that we would be living in if instead he was a world-renowned singer instead of a cult leader. Well, I don't think he would have changed uh, the world. He wasn't going to be the front man of the Beatles or anything. It's just we would have 39 that. more people alive. Is all. <laughs> well, no, they probably would have had a different cult, to be we're, honest. We're These... five minutes into the episode and Charlie's like, what in a man a damn thing? Don't need them people. <laughs> <laughs> He's been he's been holding it back, talking about how much he hates this cult up until just then. 
It sounds like he has a bone to pick with Apple. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't believe in his singing skills. Hey, yeah. call me crazy. I think he's a bad guy. I don't, I don't know. I don't well, like his, him. Qu- his quote just then was, all that would have happened is 39 more people would be alive. <laughs> well, okay, which would be great, but Jackson's phrasing it like the whole world would have changed if he was just a singer. <laughs> like, Well, no, but if he was like a popular singer. I guess. I, okay, imagine this. If he was a popular singer, maybe the number would have been more than 39 because he would have had more, more of a spread. Oh. Did you ever consider that? Wait, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Look, all, all I'm saying yeah. is if right now Taylor Swift did that, uh, it would be a lot bit more than 39, right? Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. That'd be huge. Yeah. 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 So. so in some ways, we're lucky that he didn't break it big as an as a actual singer. Yeah, like Charlie um, so, thinks. Like he, I'm co-opting Charlie's statement. It's good that this happened to 39 people. I'm glad that it <laughs> <No>. happened to <laughs> That's definitely not what I'm saying. No, that, that's what, I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. I think that's you formed your own thought off that now. Look, on, on the record, you can quote him. Charlie said, I'm glad 39 people died. And I agree with him. I'm, I'm with my friend on this one. So That is not a red thread opinion. Charlie's acting entirely on his own prerogative there. That is, that is all him. <laughs> Two out of Take three podcast hosts agree. 39, cool number. <laughs> I like how, okay, so this is becoming a trend in the red thread now, constantly victimizing Charlie <laughs> and putting words in his mouth. That's fine. So, someone's got to do it. Look, they, did, they didn't kill him last time, so we're trying, to, we're trying to see what can stick, right? Like, he made it from the last show. I don't think Applewhite poses much of a threat anymore. <laughs> his ghost so might still Charlie's be lingering. <laughs> that comet's yeah. coming back around any day now. So in Corpus Christi, he moved to Corpus Christi and he started becoming a college music professor because, you know, when you can't do it, you teach. So uh, while he was there working as a college music professor, he sadly, sadly is not the right answer. His marriage of 16 years was dissolved and he lost his job when he had a homosexual relationship with a student. So um, that kind of sent him into a downward spiral. He lost his career, he lost his marriage, and obviously there's conversations to be had about about the wrestling inside him of his sexuality with his, you know, theological or religious beliefs. So there was probably some conversation to be had there about what this meant for the future. Yeah. And he likely had a lot of inner turmoil and, you know, difficulty coming to terms with his sexual desire, which led to a lot of severe frustration. Uh, He would then move in 1965 to Houston, where he would serve as chair of the music department at another university. uh, And he started another relationship with a young woman. He was at this time, I believe he was living his life as an openly bisexual man. Uh, So he was pursuing a romantic relationship with a young woman, but history repeated itself again. And he lost his job at the University of St. Thomas in 1970, citing depression and other emotional problems. But experts believe. and speculate that the departure was actually motivated by a second affair between Applewhite and another student, another male student. So this seems to be obviously a recurring theme. He's definitely struggling with his sexuality and his kind of, I don't know, proclivity for, he, for sex. He was at least a college professor, right? He wasn't like a high school mm-hmm. professor or anything. So at least- No, like, no, no. This was college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this least the people that he was hooking up with weren't like minors or anything like that. But- Probably yeah. also, you know, a bad thing to cheat on your spouse to, or like, yeah. well, like cheat that. on your spouse. It's, it's bad professionally. It's obviously, bad professionally. Still. Yeah. The relationship's inappropriate and, for sure. And I think we also have to frame this 
in 1960 at a place called the University of St. Thomas having a, yeah, a, yeah. let's say, a gay relationship with a student. Um, there was a I lot can't imagine more extreme the other consequences then at yeah. that location than there would be now on top of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so obviously this is all to paint kind of a whirlwind of just bad things happening to he this was man that would lead to emotion. Yeah. He was he was having a pretty he was wrestling with his inner demons, obviously not winning those battles. He was uh, fighting depression stuff like that, probably uh, definitely exacerbated by the events that happened. Yeah. And on top of that, he was he had a strained relationship with his family and his father, especially because he was a Presbyterian minister. So obviously there would be a bit of a odd dynamic there <laughs> he was basically estranged at this point from his family due to due to the events that took place so all of this led to a moment in 1972 where he states or he he, he writes in his in his writings that he met a woman bonnie lou nettles at a mental mental institution <clears throat> basically he was there for treatment for his depression and stuff like that. I'm not sure why Bonnie Nettles was there. She she worked as a nurse, so that could potentially be it, but I didn't find any kind of concrete wait, evidence. Wait, about she was that. a nurse and he was a patient there? So he was a pa he was a patient there definitely. I couldn't find out information if Bonnie Lou Nettles was a nurse at the mental mental mm, institution see, or okay. if she or was if she was there as well. She did she did work as a nurse, but I'm not sure if she was a nurse I at see. that institution. Man, if she was, then that, that's a real Joker Harley Quinn moment right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. That, that's what I was thinking as well. Like, it seems like, it seems like a not really- Not to equate 39 people's death to a DC comic, <laughs> but it, <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is a, it is a uh, Harley Quinn, a certified why so serious moment for sure. <laughs> How about we leave the pop culture references to Charlie, right? He's the expert, those he can pull them out. No, anyone's welcome to reference pop culture. It doesn't have to just be me. We're, we're switching. This is it, just like Batman. We're switching it up this time. I'm. <laughs> we're switching it up this time. I'm making the pop culture references. He's saying he's glad all these people died. So that's that's what's yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're taking different sides. Yeah, <laughs> just trying out playing the field a bit. <laughs> I'll be the perfect middleman that disagrees with both of those yeah. statements and comes out completely clean. <laughs> so just to go back though, Marshall, Marshall obviously depressed, wrestling with these sexual insecurities and stuff like that. Uh, a few experts that I read, especially in a book that I was perusing, or uh, it was a scientific journal by an author named Susan Rain called Re Reconceptualizing the Human Body, Heaven's Gate, and the Quest for Divine Transformation, she poses that he's he, he was hospitalized for what was a full-blown schizophrenic episode, not just depression. Mm. So he was likely already suffering from some form of delusions at that point, is what mm. she thinks. And I think that's likely, given the, the history that this man would go on to kind of, you know, do. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's... Basically, the history of Marshall before before the formation of what would become the cult, the Heaven's Gate cult. So let's shift gears and head on over to the other side of the aisle, the, the second founder, who was Bonnie Lou Nettles. And she was born on August 29th, 1927 in Houston, Texas. So... There's not much known about her at all. I could not find anything about her early life, but I know she worked as a nurse and she had a marriage as well to a man, a very successful businessman at the time. Um, that's 
came to its end because she became addicted, basically, to mysticism and the occult, things like talking <laughs> to the dead and stuff like that. So it must have been pretty, pretty, uh, a pretty severe addiction. Uh, probably also, <laughs> you know, delusional as well, same as Marshall, if it were to lead to a, you know, a dissolvement of their marriage. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> Based yeah, on where this is tracks. going. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So you can kind of see already, <laughs> the, just based on the uh, the individuals here, like the path that these two are going to walk down. They're both delusional, but they both have these kind of visions eccentric of spiritual beliefs. Yeah, Is yeah. It visions of grandeur, stuff like that. Just a whole bunch of stuff uh, wrapped up in this in this nice little package. So she was married. They split up. Um, Bonnie's daughter, Terry Nettles, recounted for interviews moments during their childhood when she and her mother would stand in their backyard searching for UFOs at night. She said that they both felt like they weren't a part of this world and it would be neat if the UFOs would transport them back to where they belonged. So already, again, Aww. like Heaven's Gate, he Aww, the Heaven's Gate so cult. Sad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, it is sad. Uh, Heaven's Gate cult itself is a kind of a mix, mat like a mixing of christian ideology with science fiction i guess that's basically the most simple way you could put it and so i think right here those beginning threads of of the kind of ufo elements were starting to take root in in bonnie um i have the quote here from terry nettles it says it would be really neat if one would come and pick us up and take us away because neither one of us really felt like we were part of this world what we were always that we were always on the outside looking in and we would always dream about that a lot we wanted something different. So I think that I think that paints a lot of um, Bonnie's kind of mentality. I don't think she was happy in life. I think she wanted more. I think that was probably the same for Marshall. I think they both wanted something more out of life. They had a general sense of purposelessness that I think this cult was their solution to or, or their, like their, you know, their theology or belief that they created themselves was a band-aid to fix that. Do you guys agree so far? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. It's also just coming from a place of actual mental illness. So it's just mm -hmm. getting yeah. these ideas in your head about like, I don't belong, but now here's a potential way that I could through UFOs taking us elsewhere kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of uh, cults that you look at the leader and you can clearly be like, oh, well, that, that guy was evil, right? Like he was manipulating people like Jonestown, right? Like clearly that was someone who yep. was manipulating less educated people to get what they want. But with Heaven's Gate, it's always felt to me like they weren't in on the joke to a degree more than mm -hmm. anyone else was. Like they truly believed the delusions they were saying. Uh, in a way, they were kind of yeah. victims of it as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they were definitely victims of the, the time they lived in. They didn't have access to proper uh, mental health care. They probably didn't know what they were wrestling with. People weren't taking them seriously because I think the most dangerous thing for a mentally ill person like this is another mentally ill person like them where they can kind of co-feed and kind of, um, what was the word? Kind of like feed into each other's delusions. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it becomes kind of a self-affirming, well, <laughs> not prophecy, but self-affirming action at that point where, where you're surrounding yourself with people that agree with you. So it reinforce, it reinforces the idea. So I definitely think that they are victims of each other 
as well as their just kind of predicament in life. The, the, the cards they were dealt were not good. Obviously, that doesn't excuse what happened, <laughs> like where this went. But it's, I think it's important to contextualize it and frame it in that kind of understanding that maybe these guys weren't maliciously evil. Maybe they were just severely mentally ill. Yeah, the, no, yeah. Not to go backwards, but reading through some of your notes here, you mentioned that you didn't know if Bonnie was a nurse or a patient there, yet a lot of the information moving forward is working under the assumption that she was also a patient at the mental hospital where they met. Is there just like a discrepancy in like what's true? So yeah, there's a discrepancy in how Marshall relays the first meetings. So some of that information may be from Marshall, um, whereas Bonnie's family, especially her daughter, paints a different picture of how they meet. Uh, so there is a lot of just kind of I, I don't have a concrete answer there. Okay. I think the most likely I think the most likely thing is that she, uh, she, due to her due to how she acts and stuff, I think it's likely that she was a patient there at some point, and that's how they met, and they kind of bonded over their own shared experiences or their shared feelings and ideas. Um, but I don't have a concrete answer for you. I'm afraid. Okay, yeah, because I was just reading a bit forward here about their uh, not to get too far ahead of the conversation in the class, but reading about how they believed they were the two in the biblical prophecy, which sounds like something out of Star Wars with like the Jedi stuff. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the bring of balance. from the Sith. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, can, there can only be two. <laughs> there can only, there's always two. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't hey, have a Hey, Charlie answer, brought it afraid. back to pop culture references. I'm so proud. Yeah, we're back, we baby. It. Yeah, we're so back. <laughs> it's magical. Do you even realize you're doing it most of the time, or is it just kind of a nervous tick? I don't know. I just, I, I see things <laughs> like the two, and my mind immediately goes to, damn, that's just like Darth Bane. <laughs> <laughs> This is so pathetic. It's so, it's, it's so it's weird. It's his brain on default mode. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Star Wars. Yes, I'm familiar. I know exactly what happened here. <laughs> I I do get the need to like, I, I do get the need or drive to like relate things to <laughs> things that are more easily digestible, though I think it does make it, I, well, it definitely makes the episodes funnier. If I, 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 can't, I can't blame Charlie for anything. When you were talking about the two of them standing outside looking at UFOs, wishing they could go away. That song, Airplanes, was in my head. You know? <laughs> oh, what a banger, though. That, that song airplanes. Like, her looking up the open UFOs take her away. That went through my head. But I ate it. I was like, don't say that on the podcast. That's going to sound so stupid. So I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> you did. bully me for it. Yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad you did. <laughs> No, it's all right. You can, you can, you can, uh, you can say whatever you want here. As I, I know, I know, space. I can because you get a laugh at the comments, and that's engagement. So that's exactly. why you're saying that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the more laughs we can cram in here, the better, in my opinion. Yeah. So it's not just like me that. reading show notes that I scribbled at three a.m. <laughs> yeah, it's show notes at three a.m. Twenty-four pages. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that that's that's basically what I would consider the foundation of of these two characters. Is putting it the wrong way, two individuals. Um, uh, so that's where I wanted to kind of shift into the cult history itself, because at this point they kind of made their meeting, whether that be through a a uh, mental institution, which is one possibility, or through how Bonnie's daughter puts it, that. 
they met at, so this is a quote from Terry Nettles, the daughter of Bonnie Nettles. They met in 72 at the theater I used to work at. He was teaching music and drama. Started out with my mum doing astrology charts for the mothers, and I remember, remember her telling me we were in the living room that there's something about his chart, something there that was a lot different than everybody else's. So that that's her recounting of how they met in a in a theater that she used to work at, and he and he took an astrology chart lesson from from her mother. Um, but again, Marshall paints a different story. It's possible. Okay, so here's my theory. All right. It's possible that there's inklings of truth from both stories, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's possible that they met initially at the mental institution. They were both there, probably, because I believe this was after Terry, not Terry, Bonnie had separated from her husband, so she was going through a rough patch as well. So I believe that they met at the mental institution, and then they became friends, and then he likely took the astrology, um, whatever you call it, the astrology lesson from from Bonnie at the theater. And that's when Bonnie, when their friendship got a bit closer and stuff like that. And then Terry found out about it through her mother. Yeah. So that's it, why it there's sense. kind of that it discrepancy. I think that tracks. Yeah. I think that's the most likely situation. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a break right now um, to hear from this episode's sponsors, who we appreciate very much. Hey everybody, thank you so much for sticking around through the description of all this terrible, but for now, I wanted to take a break and talk about something that isn't terrible, and that's saving money. And saving money has never been easier thanks to today's sponsor, the first sponsor of the Red Thread, Rocket Money. Because I totally get that between house payments, grocery bills, car maintenance, and just general expenses, saving money can be hard. But not anymore, because now, Rocket Money is here to help. Because Rocket Money is the personal finance app that helps you save more and spend less. That's because Rocket Money allows you to do things like lower your payments, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and set budgets for yourself. And overall, get smart about your money. I can't tell you how many times I have been charged for something for months on end without realizing it, or I was paying way more for a service than I needed to in the first place, but just because I didn't know how to challenge it, I ended up paying the higher amount. And I don't think I've ever followed a budget I've set for myself in my head and always end up spending more than what I intended. But now with Rocket Money, I can get rid of that headache. Because Rocket Money allows you to set budgets for things you plan to spend money on and then get notifications based on your spending. Rocket Money also allows you to keep track of your investments and keep a continuous idea of what your net worth is. And it even keeps track of all of your recurring payments and allows you to cancel them in one easy step. And on top of all of that, Rocket Money also allows you to monitor your credit score and negotiate bills that you're paying on your behalf. Rocket Money is the one-stop shop to keep track of your cash because finances can be complicated and it's easy between the holiday season or any other business or life expenses you have going on to just lose track of it. But now, Rocket Money's here to help. Rocket Money has saved its customers an average of $720 a year and collectively cancel over $500 million in unneeded subscriptions. So why not take the load off your shoulders and join the over 5 million users already on the platform? Because right now, there's never been a better time to get in on the action. That's because if you head to the link in the description at rocketmoney.com slash redthread, you will be able to get started on Rocket Money for free. That is right, for free. From there, if you like what you see, you can unlock premium to unlock even more features. But for now, you can just head to the link in that description, see if the app is something that's gonna help you and you can do all of it with no cost to yourself. 
Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash redthread to get in on this fantastic financial tool today. Thank you all so much for watching the ad. Thank you so much to Rocket Money for sponsoring the show. It really does mean the most. Hope you all check them out. Link is in the description. And now, a word from Jackson. You guys just ever have one of those like long days where the last thing you want to think about is what to have for dinner? Like dinner is the final obstacle, the final boss in the day. And you just don't have the mental energy to deal with it at that point. Luckily for me and luckily for you guys, I have a secret weapon up my sleeve just to deal with that. I'm talking about HelloFresh and HelloFresh has done us a solid and is sponsoring this episode of The Red Thread to make sure no one goes hungry in our audience. If you don't know what HelloFresh is, HelloFresh is a meal box subscription service that delivers seasonal recipes with pre-portioned ingredients directly to your door. I've actually been using HelloFresh for about a year now and the process is just so simple the ingredients are so delicious they have these fantastic little quick and easy meals so like you can whip them up in like 15 minutes or under so it just makes that the, the end of night stress just so much easier when i can just get in the kitchen cook a delicious HelloFresh meal in under 15 minutes and then i'm good to go back to work when HelloFresh comes it comes pre-portioned specifically for what would be a comfortable eating size so you're not wasting any ingredients and you're also not wasting Wasting any money. It is really one of the most cost effective ways of putting food on your plate at dinner time. The process couldn't be more simple as well. Even I can do it. And it's actually pretty fun as well. Like I check out the menu each week and then make my selections. It's a whole journey. It's a lot of fun seeing all the different creations they've come up with in the lab. And yeah, there's just so many different options. They have a lot of quick and easy meals, like I said, and there's also calorie smart and protein smart options. So you're able to make conscious decisions about what you're putting in your body throughout the week and have them taste delicious as well. HelloFresh, it's just an awesome experience. Really can't speak more highly of it. And it makes dinner time so much easier. We're really, really happy to have HelloFresh supporting the show. We're all big fans of HelloFresh. We've all used them in the past and we all love them. So it means the world to have them supporting the show. And it would mean so much to us if you could go check them out and maybe give them a try if you're looking to make dinner time easier for you and your family. You can go to HelloFresh.com slash RedThreadFree and use code RedThreadFree for a free breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That's actually insane. That's like such a good deal a lifetime bonus like while your subscription is active they'll just send you free breakfast in each box for the duration that your subscription is active that is actually insane value i would if you're interested in HelloFresh, i would definitely jump on board right now using our offer to take advantage of that because that is that is one hell of a deal so yeah HelloFresh, super awesome and delicious use code red thread free that's red thread, like the show name, and then free at the end. So red thread free. I think my Australian accent might be screwing this up here. Free as in like it is free. F-R-E-E. Red thread free. It'll be up on the screen and link below as well. Thank you so much to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. And thanks so much to all of you for checking them out and helping Red Thread continue on. We really, 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 really appreciate it. Now back to Heaven's Gate. Back into it. Let's talk about the cult actually forming now. So we've got an idea of who they are as people. Let's talk about how they kind of interacted in those seminal moments. So they both first met in 1972, as we previously discussed, and they began sharing, uh, discussing and sharing interests in spirituality, metaphysics, and the belief that they were destined for something greater than the ordinary human experience. So this is where I was saying before, like they kind of fed into one another. They they both 
basically portrayed one another as having greater importance than what they actually had. They fed into those delusions. Their conversations evolved into a deep and bizarre bond very quickly as they became convinced that they were the two. That's in quotation marks, they called themselves the two that were foretold in biblical prophecy, chosen by extraterrestrial beings or higher powers. So it immediately goes from zero to 100, basically. There's, yeah. no, <laughs> there's no kind of gradual build up here. They, because they feed into each other with their delusions, they immediately go to, we are biblical figures <laughs> prophesized by the Bible, basically friends with Jesus Christ, and we will save human. We, we will save humanity. Me and the boys hyping each other up. Just like, <laughs> yeah. we're, the, we're those guys. We're the guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're them. Yeah. We're so them. <laughs> there was no gradual build-up from what I could see. They just met and immediately went into that kind of biblical prophesization that they were special, yeah. which is... I mean, there's no, there's no greater evidence really to to paint their mental instability than that. I think if it was something that they kind of groomed each other into over years, I guess I don't know. That would it, it wouldn't make sense, but it would be less less evidence as to their just their mental instability at this time because they just dove right into it. They were desperate for a life of importance and value and and something different than what they had already experienced. They were that desperate that they just clung to this belief immediately. As soon as someone that they found that was like-minded told them that that was how it is. So I think that paints a pretty pretty uh, direct picture. And not only that, it, it, got, it goes pretty insane immediately. They began to co-live, cohabit with each other pretty much immediately as well. And I also have the note here that it's important to specify that their relationship was not a sexual one. There is evidence that it, it was entirely platonic, deeply loving, but not sexual. So it was kind of like an asexual partnership in that they were like life partners, but without the sexual. <laughs> They'd element. have long romantic mm. evenings and then climb into bed and stare at each other. <laughs> For hours. Which I don't know them. if it's. I, I don't know if it was an attempt to shed the sexual elements of life because, uh, especially in Applewhite's case, nothing good had come from that in the past. Yeah. Um, or if they just didn't have the attraction to one another or what, or if they just found each other spiritually rewarding on a different level. I'm hey, not sure. Hey, man, when All you're I the guy, they didn't when, bang. When you're that guy, you, you don't need it anymore. <laughs> yeah, at that point, oh, they yeah, just when you're Jesus. At, yeah, they just look at each other and they can just feel it in their brains. <laughs> it's like a... Like some kind of interdimensional sexual experience through the cosmos. <laughs> Do you think it was actually that? Like, it was just... Yeah, sex 100%. had no need because they were like mentally orgasming. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's that's not even exclusive to just them. There's people that like actually believe the uh, like imagination is more erotic and fulfilling than physical. So I, I definitely think so. Hmm. Interesting. I just assume that they just stripped sexuality from it entirely just because they didn't. Oh, that's possible. Find each other attractive. It's definitely possible. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so they be began to live together and they were basically uh, just reinforcing their emerging delusional beliefs just constantly. There is an interesting note here from psychi psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton, who speculates that Nettles, Bonnie Nettles' uh, influence, kept Marshall's delusions in check. Uh, he, he, he thinks that Marshall's delusions could have got much worse, much quicker if it weren't for Nettles' influence, Bonnie Nettles' influence. 
Uh, I tend to disagree. I think that because <laughs> yeah, they were kind you as the of, expert psychiatrist disputing the other psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, no, there is there is a, there is a um, <laughs> there is another like expert that disagrees as well. Oh, like, okay, there, there's okay. debate in the community. I'm just saying I tend to agree with the other perspective. I just like the at, idea that we're yeah. two episodes in. It's like, well, actually, I have already. more authority than the psychiatrist. <laughs> I know hey, more about this. We're right behind this. Joe Rogan, bro. Is that psychiatrist? That's, true. Yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah, come on, we can make up our own facts now. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's what the You're top right. spot. That's what the top spot means. <laughs> we we choose what history is. But what do you do? You disagree? What 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 one do you think it is, Charlie? Do you think that their delusions uh, fed off one another, or do you think Bonnie kept him in check? I don't know enough about it yet, but I just usually lean to, like, if an expert psychiatrist is saying something, I put more stock in it than me just speculating as a dumb, smooth, noodle brain guy. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, but again, another expert is disagreeing Yeah, if there's other, well. if there's disagreements I mean, among yeah, the experts, it, then yeah, it, choosing the one. It can also be both. Like, you know, they were both, if they were both delusional, maybe one day her delusion wasn't as intense as his, so they, they like, go with hers, you know right. what I mean? So, yeah. It could be something like that, yeah, too. I agreed. So after this point, after they were living together uh, for a long time, they opened a bookstore called the Christian Art Center, um, which is interesting because <laughs> while, their, while their belief or their religion did co-opt elements of Christianity, kind of in a heretical way, uh, yeah. a blasphemous way. Yeah, um, <laughs> kind of, yeah. We, you, can, you can probably weigh in on that eventually. <laughs> there, there's but a like, little bit of blasphemy going on, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, it, it, like, it's kind of weird that they called it a Christian art center when a lot of the cl- classes that would take place there were based around mysticism and their own beliefs and stuff like that. Uh, they created a venture called the No Place, which is <laughs> no as in like no know, knowing, like knowledge, <laughs> like K N O W, not like an not N O. Um, so this was like a kind of classroom based thing where they would teach things about theosophy and and mysticism, like I said before. However, these various ventures were later closed because they weren't making money, and <laughs> they would then they would then choose to set out on what they called a spiritual road trip that would eventually lead to the formation of the cult's entire foundation. So they basically wanted to travel with one another and teach others along the road about their beliefs. So they were taking the Christian Art Center on the road, basically. It was a, Bro, it was a road trip. It's they were so doing- funny to imagine like a Sunday school kid like going to like oh i'm gonna to go to the christian art center <laughs> it's like fortune telling and seances and all. yeah well but imagine UFOs. that imagine yeah <laughs> imagine that though if you were that like i don't know six-year-old kid going to the christian art center to learn about god and, and faith and stuff like that <laughs> and then you get to meet jesus himself He's oh, right there. True. Yeah, Marshall was there. You yeah, got to meet the man. Says, <laughs> uh, we are Marshall the two. Marshall comes out and says, yeah, I, that would have blown my mind. That would have been incredible. Uh, but also scary. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they went on this, this road trip. <clears throat> it was described as a restless, intense, often confused, peripatetic spiritual journey by Robert J. Lifton, that uh, expert from before the psychiatrist so it was definitely like not uh organized and definitely based off their delusions they would just go around just kind of unfocused in in an unfocused way just talking to whoever they could trying to trying to convince them that their beliefs were correct you know i always wonder like i'll talk to people who are like oh i was traumatized as a child by christianity or like oh i hate christianity because blah 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 
And I'm like, well, most of the time I assume they're overreacting, but there's some people out there who ran into these two who it's like, yeah. <laughs> I oh, get yeah, it. For like, sure. <laughs> I see where you're coming from. <laughs> if this is your first interaction or your primary interaction with faith in general or Christianity <laughs> or what they're portraying as Christianity, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not that's not a good first impression. Let's put it that way. Like, to, uh, I don't know if, how many how many uh, mentally ill individuals you guys have interacted with, but it it can get scary pretty quickly, especially yeah, if yeah. they are that if they're that visibly delusional about their beliefs. Like, it is it is pretty confronting and scary. So, if that's the case, then yeah, I mean, I, if you're I talking have- to these. I have a vivid memory of when I was uh, nine or ten years old. I was at a uh, a Bible conference, and there was a guy there who like uh, who who did have like schizophrenia and uh, some other stuff, I believe. But in the middle of the conference, he just randomly started yelling and shouting and ripping his clothes off, saying he was possessed and like that he felt demons in him or whatever. That was a wild. I, I remember that so vividly. It was a terrifying experience. But yeah, like. So that was like one guy, and immediately people ushered him out. Or like, Are you okay? They called an ambulance and everything. Um, but uh, uh, imagining that guy being the leader of the room. Right. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Would there be a different kind of like dynamic there that people would be more if he was the leader? If he was the if he was the well, leader I, of this I'd like to. Th- well, like the the people who were there were like you know guys in business, you know politicians, like you know respected guys with like good heads on their shoulders. So I like to think that. An individual like that couldn't be leader there. But historically, there have been times where delusional people, I mean, we're looking at one right now, have become leaders of other groups. Um, It's... it's Just just to confirm, you're talking about Applewhite and not Charlie, right? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't know, man. But yeah, like... No, I... Yeah. When you have a leader like that, um, it's scary. It's scary what can happen. I mean, like, the end of this story is a good example of how scary it can be. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I think it's important, again, because you had that experience in what I would assume is at most the late 90s, probably early 2000s. Bro, do you know how old, how old you think I am? I, I don't know. I think you're my age, right? Like 20, 25? Okay, yeah, I'm 24. 24. So it was uh, when I was oh, 10. Was, was, <laughs> Charlie. Yeah, Charlie's so old. I'm old. Uh, Did you just hurt your knees, Grandpa? <laughs> Yeah, it's my, okay, I, Grandpa. I, I did a big pog bed. face, and my jaw hurts now. <laughs> <laughs> no, Char, like we make fun of him for the pop culture stuff, but it's really like your grandpa who's like, "I remember that from the forties." <laughs> <laughs> it really is that. <laughs> That's good, Grandpa. Go back to bed now. <laughs> I remember when they invented chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so this was like 2010, I guess, is when that happened. Oh, okay, yeah. So 13 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So again, let's contextualize this, this, the Heaven's Gate story. It was the seventies. So I like, I don't know how common or how aware people were of things like schizophrenia. I'm sure they were, but it wasn't as like, you know, well-documented as it probably is now. So your church or your congregation probably knew yeah, that man like, was th- this mentally was- unstable. This was a guy who had had a couple episodes in the past, and, like, his family was there. They took care of him. Like, it wasn't an issue, but I just, like, as a kid, I didn't know all that when it happened. And uh, I didn't think he was, because my my parents were very smart. They taught me well. I I never thought, like, oh, this guy's possessed because he says he is. I was immediately like, this is a guy with, like, a mental 
condition. Yeah. Um, and everyone else recognized that. Like I said, it was a bunch of people with good head on their shoulders. But it's scary when things like that are said in environments where people are willing to believe it, because a lot of a lot of weird stuff can come from it. There's a bigger conversation around how mental illness was kind of excused or factored into a lot of early evangelical spiritual movements and wasn't categorized mm-hmm. as such. Um, that led to a lot of problems, but that that's a whole other can of worms. But yeah, st- stuff like this wasn't super uncommon. It's the it's the endpoint that it got to that is what makes it unique. Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, that comes after decades of group manipulation. Yeah, uh, yeah. just isolationism st- stuff that other cults do, but this cult really took to the next level. Um, so they were kind of forced into environments where the only belief that was allowed was that of these two delusional figures. And I think the people surrounding them, those 39 and the, you know, tens of other cult members in Heaven's Gate were also individuals that were susceptible to that kind of manipulation because they may have also been uh, delusional or mentally unwell to some degree as well. That's not to say it doesn't, it's not possible that you know, healthy, healthy-minded people could also fall victim to these individuals, but I think there needs to be some some level of proclivity to it for them to really uh, latch onto the ideas put forth by Applewhite and Nettles. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so um, I think at that point, so they're they're going on their spiritual journey at this point in 1973. Uh, Bonnie Nettles writes to Terry Nettles, her daughter. And I think this is an interesting quote because it oh, kind of puts I, I, into perspective. Can I read it? Because yeah, go for just it. because like you you did so much, I can I can do something. I can <laughs> I can read it for yeah, you. You can read. It. Okay, cool. Please uh, go ahead. So Bonnie's daughter said, "Dearest Terry, we have finally come out." Wait, this is the daughter writing, correct? Or is this the mother? No, it's the it's the mother. So writing I already goofed it up. <laughs> it's fine. It's the mother. <laughs> Dang it! Stupid, stupid! No, okay, so, <laughs> so this is another. I just started hitting my head on the. Key. <laughs> just you leave, idiot! Leave. Like, this is the mother writing to the daughter. Okay, <laughs> dearest Terry, we we have finally come out of the wilderness to know what our mission is. It is definitely a big one. In fact. We have been sent to fulfill the scriptures the same as Jesus and others came to do. This has been revealed in John's revelations. I am not kidding, baby. This is for real. I knew it was something very important from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely is concrete. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, pretty conclusive, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what I found interesting uh, about this is Terry, Terry Nettles, so the daughter of Bonnie Nettles, the founder, um, would often... Right, uh, or she would often receive letters from her mother, which is kind of odd because uh, Marshall Applewhite completely like separated from his family and all all vestiges of his past, uh, probably out of shame and, and guilt and stuff like that. But also, it was kind of commanded onto the cultists themselves, the cult members, people that would follow them around and and subscribe to their beliefs, that they weren't allowed to contact their families as well. It seems like Bonnie. Uh, was one of the only ones that was still allowed to and still able to. And I guess that makes sense in the context that she was the leader, the one setting the rules as well. But it's it's interesting to me that she still 
she wasn't like n- so invested into into the cult where she would completely scrub her past or completely scrub her family or, or her children or her family. So there was still some level of love there, at least at this point. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. Maybe she wasn't all in. Maybe she was still at a point. Like, sure, she's delusional, but maybe she's at a still point someone could have helped her. Uh, yeah, 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 potentially. Which lends credibility to the previous psychiatrist statement that Bonnie kept Marshall's delusions true. in check. That's true. Yeah. True. Yeah. That is a good point. Yeah. So their travels were filled with many spiritual and scientific fiction research. Um, so while they were out in the woods, they were just reading copious amounts of books, uh, particularly from Helena Blavatsky, who was a theosophist, R.D. Lang, a psychiatrist who studied psychosis, which is interesting. They were reading about their own conditions. And Richard Buck, a philosophical author, to name a few. And um, Marshall specifically, there's there's writings about from Marshall that specifically refer to the life of Francis of Assisi. Do you know who he is, Wendy Goon? Um, he was uh, a guy in the Catholic Church. Was he? He's a saint, right? He was a saint. I believe he was an Italian saint. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me. Yes. Oh, you've got written here. Oh yeah 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 yeah. He was okay. So like leprosy in the Bible was like a really big uh, unclean thing. Like if someone had leprosy, they were to be sent out of the city. They lived in their own tribes and were basically condemned to die amongst themselves. Lepers, yeah. um, he was one of the ones who tried to end the stigma around that. So, or one, the big guy who ended the stigma around that, I should say. Yeah. I believe he also had an, another task at the time, which was to, it was to rid, rid the world of, uh, well, rid, the world of the stigma of leprosy Mm -hmm. in medieval Europe. And also his other one was to convert all Muslims to his faith, which did not go over well from what (laughs) I remember. Um, So those were his two main goals. He kind of, the leprosy thing was kind of worked out for him. Regardless, uh, Applewhite took a lot of inspiration from him. I'm assuming it was potentially because of his kind of, uh, Hmm. Francis kind of like sacrificed his own desires, his own wishes, his own wants in the in the pursuit of mm. fulfilling this thing that he considered to be for the good of the the world. So he gave up his own aspirations of becoming a knight um, to 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 do this thing to become a saint, basically. Um, and so I think my interpretation, and we don't know for sure, but my interpretation is that Marshall kind of saw himself as a Francis Francis of Assisi kind of of character in that he gave up his aspirations of, I guess, becoming a, you know, a, a, a professional singer or whatever, or, a, you know, college teacher or whatever. Well, he didn't he really give it up. He kept getting life. fired for not being good enough, but yeah, I guess. <laughs> but in, his, in terms of his, de- in terms sure. of his delusions though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in terms of his delusions though, he, he may have, you know, justified it as, as this, like he was giving all that life up, all of the things that he wanted, to spread this message, to to do good in the world, what he considered to do good in the world, to save people, which I think, I mean, he obviously they're both both individuals kind of relate themselves to biblical figures that did a lot of good, or like they prophesize themselves to be of more importance than what they actually are, and I think this is just another example of that. To continue, they uh, they they also read a lot of teachings about Christology, so the study of Jesus, asceticism a lifestyle defined by abstinence, 
uh, from sexual sensual pleasures, often for attuning to one's spiritual goals. And eschatology is that how I pronounce that? Eschatology. Eschatology. <clears throat> That's it. Yeah. So. Um, I'm sure you know a lot about that one. Yeah, es- eschatology, is, it's mostly like a study of revelations, also like the prophecies of Daniel and stuff. It's basically uh, a studying of the rapture or the end times or the end of days, stuff like that. Yeah. So the the idea here is that they were learning about Christology to take elements of, you know, a savior figure. So like Jesus and stuff like that which would become central to the idea of the cult in that they themselves were the saviors. Uh, they took they took elements of asceticism. So uh, they wanted to purify their souls. They wanted to purify their members' souls through abstaining from, from all worldly pleasures and basically putting everyone in a state of poverty so that they could then ascend to a realm above their existence. Which would, which is what they would call the next level, and then also they tied in elements, particularly towards the end of that eschatology or the the last times, the the last things, the end of the world, basically doomsday. It was a doomsday cult, basically, where mm. the world was going to be recycled, the world was going to be renewed. We need to purify our souls uh, to then ascend to the next level beyond this existence because it is going to be wiped clean, and we, the two. Me, Marshall and Bonnie, we're the only ones who can spread this message. We're the only ones that can re- reincarnate you and lead you through this process to get you to the next level. That's that's what it boils down to. That's what this cult boils down to, their ideas, their beliefs, their kind of doctrine. It does shift over time quite a bit. There's a lot of changes that weave in and out based on based on Marshall's mood, basically, like what he wakes up and decides this is what our religion is now. There's a lot of that, <laughs> but at its core, it is that idea of ascending to a next level through purification of one's um, soul, basically, to escape doomsday. You guys, uh, that was, you guys the, got any you nailed it. That was awesome. No, I was just, <laughs> yeah, I was just waiting for the next part because now we're getting into when it like actually starts getting members. They take the show on the road, they get the members, and then it spirals out of control. Yeah. So, so basically, at this point, they're like two delusional people who are incorporating a lot of like beliefs of the end times, beliefs of spiritual spiritualism, beliefs of Christianity, and kind of compiling it into their own new doctrine. So you can see the groundwork for. when they start bringing on people what these people are being brought into exactly yeah and i want to stress at this point uh, on their spiritual journey they are talking to people but they are actually yet to convert their first member they they, they're not a cult yet they're they're just two people kind of building the foundation of what would then become the cult through these these readings of of books and literature and another note is that applewhite himself here also read a lot of science fiction <laughs> he read a lot of work from philip k dick who uh fuck what's it called the um the the electric sheep dreaming or whatever yeah, the fuck yeah. that book is called that would create that would go on to influence blade runner as well as arthur c clark just a lot of science fiction he read and that obviously painted the more sci- sci-fi elements of the cult going forward. There was still that interest in UFOs and how they kind of uh, aliens play into it because there is a there is a very strong uh, alien kind of element coming up to to their whole thing. And it was it was after this when they left the forest <laughs> their spiritual journey. Uh, they received their first convert, so they did receive their first member. Uh, at this time 
one of Bonnie's friends from Houston named Sharon Morgan. So this was a pivotal moment. They, they, so, they've now a cult. What does that look like, though? So they find Sharon Morgan. This is they were already done with the traveling road show, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, so they were always kind of they were always kind of like a nomadic cult, but this this spiritual journey was over at this point. Yeah. Gotcha. So then she's converted. Does she just travel with them now? Just tag along like a new party member in Final Fantasy? Like, how does it work exactly? <laughs> there we go again. <laughs> yes, the references. <laughs> you literally kind of you need to go get checked for like a like a tick or something. <laughs> no, but she, yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, it, it it is it is odd. She she did follow them around for a bit, but she did leave the cult a few months later. So they didn't successfully keep their first convert but i did want to note that this was when they did get their first convert so she would follow them around for a bit and then she left them so when they convert someone they end up just following them and and joining them yeah yep for their for their lessons and stuff like that and i maybe i mean she did leave a few months later so maybe they didn't perfect their brainwashing well i never said they were that good at at this point like (laughs) (laughs) bonnie bonnie was unsuccessful i mean Sharon was unsuccessful. She didn't stick around. And maybe, hypothetically, I'm thinking maybe they didn't even try to, like, (laughs) brainwash her at this point. They just believed that their belief was that uh, inherently convincing that she would have just stuck around. And then when she did leave, they were kind of like, shit, we've got to employ actual tactics or we've got to keep people around through manipulation. Or maybe Sharon was just unsusceptible to it. I don't know. But regardless, she left. And then in June 1974, um, they basically continued what they had been doing. They created a pamphlet that described Jesus's reincarnation as a Texan man. (laughs) Which he was, Uh, damn it. Jesus was born on American (laughs) soil. He was blonde haired, blue eyed like me. Jesus loved the nice big fucking Ford pickup truck and Budweiser. Jesus who wears a fucking belt with just it's just a Texas state. <laughs> He's got spurs on his like yeah. Lone Star State for life. He wears snakeskin boots, listens to Jason Aldean. Like <laughs> There's a church somewhere with that painting hanging on the wall. Like Oh, there, oh wow. there has to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Jesus the, is that the Westboro man. Baptist depiction of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Traditionally, is painting Jesus as anyone other than Jesus, like the, the general image of Jesus, is that heavily frowned upon as I would think it would be? Uh, do you mean, you mean like within religion? What do you mean by general image? Like painting him as a like within like Within Christianity, it, would painting him as a Texan man, would <laughs> saying Jesus was a Texan man, would that be offensive? Oh! Uh, uh, it depends on depends on the individual. It would be frowned upon. I wouldn't. I'm not gonna hate someone for doing that, but I'm not gonna hang that up in my house. You know, like I'd be like, right. "Hey, I'm good." Um, I certainly wouldn't yeah, do that, but you know, people people could do whatever they want. I don't care. I'm not gonna do it. But <laughs> anyone in yeah. the audience, what whatever you feel like, I do not condone. Whatever you it. feel, Jesus is. <laughs> yeah, whatever you think he is. <laughs> <laughs> So Applewhite, this was obviously just <laughs> comparing himself to Jesus, saying that he's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was someone born in Texas, and let's check and see where I was born. Ah, wouldn't you know? <laughs> Would you look at that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but so this is just a thinly veiled attempt course, to paint yeah. himself as Jesus. Yeah. And in addition to that, they had also directly attributed themselves at this point as the two. So the two witnesses that were described in the book of Revelation chapter 11. Mm-hmm. So can you paint a picture about who the two were in the book of Revelations? Yeah. So, that we so have an idea of what they were painting themselves so as. So the book of Revelations or John's Revelation um, is effectively the last prophecy that's given in the scriptures. Uh, it's written by John of um, Patmos, which most people believe to be John the Disciple. So John writes this letter that details the end times or the second coming of Christ, because when Christ left for heaven, he said that he would one day return. So that means there's an eventual return of Christ to the church. So he says that he'll one day return, and the book of Revelations details the events of that return. However, it is prophecy, and like all of the prophecies in the Old Testament and other parts of the Bible, it is, at least believed by most, highly... um, symbolic of what happens like for example when daniel was given prophecies of things that would happen to uh the empires he was in it didn't it wasn't literal in the sense that it was like oh well he had a vision of the persian army doing this blah 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 it would be a vision of a statue or of a tree and something happening to that statue or what have you so the book of revelations is very similar in that it's prophecy of or like visions of the end times coming forward so because of that uh, Revelations is highly debated off what certain prophecies mean, what other interpretations mean. Open to interpretation. Open to yeah. interpretation, basically. The only like core takeaway that can universally be agreed upon is that Christ will return. But other than that, there's a lot of debate. So in Revelations chapter 11, there is a portion where it says that two witnesses uh, will come to earth, that they will speak on behalf of Christ, that they will effectively be preachers, they will deliver um, the knowledge of Christ of the end times of all that, and then they'll be killed. So at the end of their preaching, uh, specifically, they'll be executed by uh, members of the world, those that hate God. Um, so is that literal? Does that literally mean near the end times? There will be two prophets, so to speak, who come forward and then are killed. Is that more symbolic? Maybe it's two nations. Maybe it's two groups of people who are yeah. destroyed. Who knows? Um but that is what they are co-opting, saying that they are those two figures mentioned in the books of Revelations. Effectively, they are the two final prophets sent from heaven. Yeah, which is convenient for them, obviously, of because course, yeah. now they get to speak on a place on, of assumed authority. Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, again, they potentially believed it. They potentially were that delusional where this wasn't malicious. And they actually believed that due to their circumstances where they met together and they kind of fed into one another, they probably actually believed that they were prophets. Yeah. And again, they probably were just honestly extremely mentally ill and completely believed. Already their whole thing is a bit, I know I'm arguing with two like deeply delusional people about this, but their doctrine around the Christianity stuff's already kind of frazzled because the two, uh, the two mentioned in revelation are never mentioned to be God. As a matter of fact, they're mentioned to be people who are killed. Um, that's not Christ. So him describing himself as Christ, but also one of the two prophets doesn't make sense, even in his own realm of delusion. But, right, yeah. 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 He's inconsistent in his inconsistencies. We'll have to get a Ouija board out and tell him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be so mean. 
<laughs> Tune in for the next episode of the Red Thread. <laughs> we, yeah, we every we every fourth reading. episode we contact all the people we talk about <laughs> just to we'll insult s- them. We'll summon Marshall Applewhite at three a.m. <laughs> What if you do that, though, Charlie, and he makes a very convincing argument, and then you've just brought Heaven's Gate back into the world? <laughs> That'd be fucking wild. Yeah, yeah. Then, then it will no, be wait, more maybe, than 39. Maybe. Just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, maybe maybe Jesus was Texan after all. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Dang, Nabbit, he's making a good point, son of a bitch. Westboro Baptist attendance skyrockets in following. <laughs> like you said, they believe they were the two witnesses who were killed and resurrected. Uh, they added the addition, though, and this is where the sci-fi element comes into it, that when they would be killed, their physical bodies would ascend to a spaceship after death in something co- they called the Demonstration. Uh, capital D demonstration, like this was a big event. And this was around the time that they would actually go full hog on this idea and start visiting other churches to speak and other spiritual groups where they would refer to themselves as the two again. Or now they started using the term the UFO two as well to probably add a spin to it to make them more interesting. I don't know. But they started referring to themselves as the UFO two as well. But it wasn't met with much belief or uh, attention at those times. So they still had a bit of work to do. Luckily, uh, a semi-fortuitous event would come up in where Marshall Applewhite, facing financial difficulties, decided to (laughs) steal, I guess he failed to return, let's say, a rental car in Kansas, which led to him being... Uh, arrested and sentenced to six months in jail because apparently being he used the excuse that he was divinely authorized to keep the car <laughs> but this was not a legal defense at the time sadly. the son, of, sadly, god. The son yeah, of god is, is, had yeah. to steal a rental car <laughs> <laughs> i'm jesus god damn it um yeah so he, he was sentenced to six months of jail sentence uh, and <laughs> as with a lot of uh, historical figures, let's say, that when they went into jail, he used that time wisely to kind of refine his doctrine and become come up with a a really strong core belief that he would then use upon leaving prison. So he was in the slammer for six months. I didn't know that going in. I didn't know that he was actually like a a felon or a criminal, but he was. He he went away for six months. Um, I don't know. Bonnie Bonnie waited for him after that, so she waited for him during those six months, and then they immediately hey, met man, up if again. If you're the two, if you're those guys, you're you can wait six months, right? True. Yeah, that's nothing. True. How do you think the conjugal visits went during that? Do you think they just like they just stared at sat each in the other. shack and just yeah. Yeah, they just thought a lot? <laughs> <laughs> they they got they had they didn't even have them. They went to like the phone, the glass wall yeah. or whatever, and yeah, then just did it right, right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stared at each other it's very uncomfortable for all the guards all the family visiting <laughs> i would have thought so i would have thought that someone like that in prison that would have been potentially dangerous for them if they're going around speaking about their delusions and stuff but apparently he made it out completely fine he left prison uh six months later after his sentence and met back up with her and they've, again, set out to just spread their new age mysticism with the science fiction and religious elements. And and it was at this time um, that they actually started to see results. I'm not exactly sure why it was now that they started to see results, but they did quickly start amassing individuals for their cult. I think 
So here's what I think, right? I think that it's potentially because they shifted audience from religious groups, so that they were speaking at religious groups, to instead focusing on new age religious groups. Mm. So instead of the traditional religious groups, they started shifting to the new age ones, like I the see. astrology, tarot cards, kind of that kind yeah, of element. Yeah, you're not going to find as much like of an audience in churches saying that stuff as you will not so much talking about the religious aspect, but agreeing with people on the like supernatural elements and then going from there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably why there was more success here because they had less of a chance converting already religiously kind of traditional people with set beliefs um, when they could go after people who were desperate to believe in something new, I yeah. guess. Um, so again, uh, like they shifted their audience also to college students primarily. So there was a lot of kind of hippie culture was massive in the seventies. Right. So you had a lot of these kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, anti hierarchy individuals, uh, with nonconformist ideas that were more susceptible to the teachings of Marshall, Applewhite and Bonnie. And so those individuals were just, they just latched onto it. And I think they just upped the amount that they were speaking at these kinds of locations like colleges and stuff like that. And every time they would just add more people to the cult and these cult members would then follow them into the woods, into their, <laughs> into their isolated communes, and they would just sit there and just talk about their, their teachings, basically, and, and kind of in that isolated space away from their families and friends, they would just kind of continuously brainwash them until they were thinking the same. Uh, I have a quote here. Do you want to read this one? From Michael Conyers, oh. who was a former Heaven's Gate cult member. Oh, yeah, course. I'll read this one. Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> The energy that it. I felt from him put me into a state of almost fear and awe, because when somebody says and starts owning that he may be or kind of is a representative of the kingdom of heaven, there's kind of an energy that exchanges or that's exchanged between two people. It's like there's a charge that goes on. So these were the kind of people that were susceptible to it, the kind of people yeah. that believe in <clears throat> these kind of strong <laughs> energies between people, that kind of new age spirituality mysticism kind of stuff the spark um, the all spark yeah, yeah the spark yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you there it is again so, <laughs> as a transformers <laughs> reference <laughs> just in case thank you for citing your sources on yeah, the I just reference. want to make sure that got across effectively it's important to note that jesus may have been optimus prime <laughs> we don't know <laughs> Um, yeah, so it was also at this point that the two started referring to themselves in very eclectic names. Uh, they started to refer, refer to themselves as guinea and pig because they were talking oh, about no. conducting experiments with aliens. Uh, and this was also, I know, it's <laughs> guinea pig, tough. obviously. That's like what the most we, we know the couple connection. you've ever met would do. I know. Like, yeah, oh, tickling each other's chins saying yeah. the pet names. <laughs> yeah. You know, they smelled yeah, awful. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. They were in those they were in those forests for weeks. <laughs> They're dude. in their wigwams staring at each other yeah. intensely. Uh. Oh man. It was yeah, it was a spiritual commune. Uh, a lot of a lot of smells would have been <laughs> would have been there, I'm sure. Um so yeah, they continued to teach this group about the next level, capital N, capital L, next level, which was the central idea of their new age religion. It was this idea that there's a level above the level that we're on and we need to become pious or maybe pious isn't the right word. We need to become 
clean of all of our worldly kinds of sensations or desires. We need to just strip it all away, just be empty vessels so that we can exit our vehicles at the end when when the aliens come to pick us up in their spaceship. We need they they won't pick us up if we're not in the perfect form. So let's tr- all go to the forest and train together to become as clean as possible using the teachings of Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie to do that. And yeah, that's basically what they did just constantly. And and they found a lot of success with recruiting new members. It grew to like 80 people, I believe at this time. So so you basically need to you need to get to a point where you are so clean of moral sin or mortal sin mm. that you are able to rise to a, a higher plane of existence basically it's very exactly. eastern religion in that sense yeah yeah it actually is yeah yeah i can definitely see the connections between some like uh you know chinese beliefs and stuff like that yeah with needing to cleanse oneself in order to gain a new level of existence or transcendence um i think it's important to kind of note that one of the most important aspects here as to why this cult got so popular amongst so many individuals like 80 people uh is because apple white was just extremely charismatic <laughs> and and i'm sure that people like michael conyers who charlie quoted before genuinely did feel that spark because he was just so charismatic i think cults obviously one of the main things that cults need is a charismatic leader and i think yeah. i think apple white was that person for this cult whereas he was a mouth he, w- he would be the one speaking a lot and and taking these kinds of uh, initiatives to recruit members whereas bonnie i feel like she was the brains behind the organization she was she was the one with the plan she was the one with a kind of uh she was the one directing the spirituality aspects of it and she she was also um yeah the one kind of like piecing everything together behind the scenes keeping it running smoothly whereas apple white was the one that would bring people in they changed their names a lot during this time. I don't think they were known as Heaven, Heaven's I, Gate. I see at this the name. Time. That's such a funny name. Yeah, I'm bold again. <laughs> yeah, you go go ahead and read it. Yeah, okay. So let me re- like, yeah. So they started changing their names around. Says the first name they chose was the anonymous sexaholic celibate church. That. <laughs> Oh, baby. Now we're the, cooking. The sexaholic celibate. Sexaholic celibate. Which, for one, it's funny, but also that's good advertisement because most people are going to see like the name of a group to join and not think anything of it, but they're going to turn their head for that. Like that, that makes oh, that sure. get your attention, right? Um, let's see. And well, not just that. You kind of you kind of draw in people who may be desperate as well. Yeah, which might be good pickings. That's true. That's true. And uh, like most of the time, that's what cult leaders do, right? They prey on people who are in bad conditions. Most people aren't like living good, happy lives and are like, yeah, I guess these two people are God now. You know, like it, it takes someone who's in dire straits to begin with. Um, so it says from there, the name didn't stick and was changed to the human individual metamorphosis, which I, I mean, that doesn't have as much of a ring to it, but it is more culty it is more in line with what they it were sounds trying like to a do. class that like a spiritual class than anything yeah the human but, yeah, individual metamorphosis well. yeah that's what we could start calling death we could start saying that <laughs> he metamorphosis <Yeah. laughs> instead of unaliving yeah, yeah. um <laughs> it was a divine metamorphosis <laughs> 
<laughs> so metaf- metamorphosis, for those that don't know, is a changing in state, basically. Like when when I think about it, I think of like a butterfly uh, coming out of a cocoon. Yeah, you know, that kind of metamorphosis. So the idea here, and this I think is the most accurate name that they had, especially when compared to the anonymous sexaholic celibate church and the Heaven's Gate and stuff like that. I think this is actually the most accurate name because it kind of explains their core belief the most in that they believed that by changing themselves, by changing their state uh, individually, they would be able to ascend to a, to a different level. Yeah. So I think it is, the, it is the most accurate name for them, but at some point, I don't know exactly when they shifted to heaven's gate. Um, this was also the time when they started, they, they removed Guinea and pig and they started using bow and peep instead uh obviously the idea there is little bo peep was a shepherd i assume that's what they were going for so they had their flock they were bo peep uh which is just fucking stupid it just makes me roll my eyes every single time and then they they changed it to doe and t which is uh the first and seventh what what are they called? The musical scales, right? Yeah, on, on yeah. The, the lade, what are, what are the, what's each element? Do re mi fa so le ti. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's that. It's that they they named themselves after the musical scale, which obviously is a it calls back to to um, Apple White's history as a music professor. Mm, that's uh, yep. That's a good point. I didn't think about that, but yeah. Hmm. It's it's kind of sad seeing like the remnants of what he was in this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's depressing. Because this this is a, this spans over like I don't know six years by this point. So he's just slowly mm. become more and more deluded. Thanks for just pointing that slight out. Vestiges I'm sad of his, now. Yeah, appreciate it. It's gonna get sadder. <laughs> okay, don't worry. We've 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 got plenty. Um. So yeah, they started staying isolated campsites, as I said, and they were just constantly controlling cult members men were required to remove their facial hair and members were required to give up all aspects of their lives basically interests hobbies substances and media it was interesting because the apple white didn't necessarily impose control heavily it was just suggested Mm -hmm. in that kind of like he gave you the option of things but if you didn't take what he wanted (laughs) you didn't take his his decision they would just kick you out of the cult. <laughs> You'd be kicked out. Mm-hmm. So you had free will <laughs> in the sense that when you exercised free will, you were just kicked out. So you had free they will cultivated. to leave. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah, much. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were f- they were like holding them at gunpoint there, but it also wasn't like there was any actual free will or, you know, differentiation from what Apple, Apple White and Bonnie wanted. Because at the end, if you kick everyone out who disagrees with you, you are just left with cultists you're just left with people who agree with you <laughs> so it was a smart tactic honestly because it probably made them seem more open to to criticism to the cultists but also it let them exercise control in a way that wasn't heavy-handed in 1976 they attempted to take further control over the group by gathering as many people as they could to medicine bow national forest in wyoming to witness a ufo appearance they put out a call to everyone there were at this point there were a lot of members that weren't actually at the campsites they were living their lives normally uh applewhite and nettles focused primarily on the cultists that were with them so they kind of shunned everyone else who wasn't. Yeah. What, what's the point of being like a half cult member? Like I kind of yeah, believe in yeah. God, but I'm not moving there. You know, 
I think it's just one of those yeah. things where it's kind of like Scientology, where even if you don't mm. go to the Church of Scientology, you can still be a member. I see. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. You know a lot. You would know a lot about cults, Charlie. <laughs> Scientology was actually founded in uh, Clearwater, I think. Right. That's where yeah, their right main. Next to you. See. Yeah. Right you. next to me. <laughs> Suspicious. <laughs> yeah, but so so. Um... <laughs> Yeah, but but like they they focus primarily on the people that were with them, uh, for good for good reason. I'm sure Scientology is the same way. Like if, even if there's Scientologists out there that call themselves Scientologists, you're gonna primarily focus on the ones inside the cult compound, right? Right, correct. And you have here that yeah. in 1975 they decided to cut contact with a lot of those people. Uh, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, which makes this event, which makes this event more important because yeah. this one actually went out over satellite to everyone. This was a mm. call to arms. Basically, they said, "Hey guys, big UFO party coming! It's coming down. Gotcha. We're going to the next level. You want to be here at Medicine Bow National Forest in Wyoming because you do not want to miss this trip, right? You you got to be on this ship to get to the next level. So everyone come out. Everyone did come out. There was a lot of people." And then Bonnie Nettles came out and said, yeah, the aliens called up and they basically said that <laughs> they've been delayed. They're in traffic. They're not going to show up. <laughs> and so you may think, all right, so this is, uh, this is, they, they, they got in over their heads or whatever. But no, I think this was a deliberate action to get everyone there in person so they could consolidate their power and attempt to convince those oh, who so came there to stay with them. Hold on. I'm starting to be swayed a little bit. Between that yeah, and Applewhite being so charismatic, it implies some level of malice, right? Like she faked a UFO event yeah. to get people to show up and stuff. She obviously knew there wasn't going to be a UFO there. There right. had to be some right. level of self-awareness because she couldn't like relay like, oh, it must have taken a wrong turn somewhere, hit by an yeah, asteroid yeah. off course. Like She would have had to have recognized this was all baloney. Okay, so is it possible then that one figure was malicious and uh, one was entirely deluded being fed by the malicious person? Maybe, I guess. Maybe there was maybe they were they were definitely both mentally ill. Maybe they were coherent enough though to recognize like there was some manipulation. I don't know. Mm. That does make me feel a bit different about them though. Yeah, I I see where you're coming from, definitely, because you're right, there is some level of um you know, direct manipulation there where it's obvious that she wouldn't have known the aliens were going to sh not show up. And yet still they put out the call to get everyone there to consolidate this power. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe they, there is a lot of further rationalizations that we get to down the line where they, they come up with these, you know, uh, antics and then they rationalize it in the way that it's all right. We're doing this because we're trying to save as many people. We're trying to get people uh, fixed and ready for the final transportation or the final uh, ascendance. So yeah. anything is permissible. Yeah. Maybe maybe they just ends justify the means because they saw what they were doing as yeah. well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. So it's possible. It's possible that it was malice, and it's also possible that it was just justification caused by their delusions. Yeah. Not sure. So that that event went poorly. Not poorly. It went well for the cult. They they gained members. Um, but it went poorly in the fact that no aliens showed up. Their experiment or the yeah, the experiment was a failure. Um, and so it was at this point that they really hammered down on the whole 
cult re-education aspect. They started to group everyone in in the cult into what they called star clusters, which were small <laughs> self-imposed groups of followers. That's actually adorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a buddy system. Because the, the number of individuals in the cult was getting so fucking large that they couldn't exercise direct control over each individual person. Yeah. So their idea was, all right, we'll split them up into <laughs> groups and then we'll let them keep each other in check, right? And then we just have to report to the leaders of the star clusters to make sure everyone is, you know, in line. So very methodical. Their control was very methodical at this point. And they were ostensibly through isolation and other cult tactics like re-education and brainwashing, they were becoming the only trusted sources of information. They, they, they had a knack for like cute names and stuff like that. Cause like star clusters, the stuff we're going to see later with the Nikes and the apple seeds and all that, right. The money in the pockets, the the first name of the group, the sexaholics, celibate, all that, like <laughs> it's that, catchy. <laughs> they're way too charismatic about it, I think, to be entirely insane. Or maybe that's just how good the delusion. I don't know. I feel that they're too good of salesmen because I'm kind of getting sold on it. When I heard they they had star <laughs> clusters, I'm like, oh, oh. No, you're going through your own metamorphosis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, hey, are these guys still around? Maybe I'll talk to. Them. I'll see what's up. <laughs> Well, they are actually, I mean, spoiler for the I, end, I but they yeah, are still they, around in some They capacity. are actually still around somehow, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a quote here from a cult member above, if you guys want to choose who reads that, from Chuck Humphrey. Uh, it's a, this is from a cult member. So we isolated ourselves in the small group of 60 or 70 people, and we didn't have contact with our families. We were isolated into a circumstance where we could then focus on our change, and there was a continual emphasis on the urgency that we make our changeover quickly because we wanted to be ready when they came. There was a sense of urgency, right? That the the UFO is coming. We need to kick this into overdrive, right? We need to make sure that we're, our spirits are cleansed because we do not want to miss the boat. So they utilize that kind of, um, what do you call it? Like that, uh, that, that urgency in order to really keep everyone on a minute by minute detail. They, they micromanage the hell out of everyone so that there was no room for doubt. In 1979, so 1980s, they moved to Dallas where they rented a number of houses and lived together in the same area. So there was an actual, they left the forest for whatever reason and they actually set up shop in a town in Dallas. Uh, Applewhite and Nettles lived in their own homes while the rest of the cult members were forced to share houses. So there were 80 odd members all sharing (laughs) houses like dorms basically during this time and they did something interesting here they did something really interesting that i don't think i've seen in many other cults in that they actually let the cult members um go get jobs is that common uh yeah i know i know the branch davidians did that uh yeah no that's not uncommon at all for cults there, they, a few especially because in a lot I can't think of any others off the top of my head aside from like scientology would yeah but, ex- except for like obvious that's ones, the but, only one that i could think of yeah well, the reason being is it makes sense. You don't want your cult to be broke, right? Like you have to afford these houses somewhere and you can take money from your followers. So the idea would be get them jobs and then you get a portion of their income to your organization. I, I, yeah. I get, I get, I get why the issue is you lose that sense of isolationism when you're putting them back into the community, you're letting them take part in the natural freedom of ideas and, and communicate like conversations with coworkers and stuff like that. It puts your cult in a much more dangerous position than if you were to keep them all locked in your own bubble, basically. And that's why I said, I don't think I've seen it in many other cults because when you consider other cults, 
um, they're usually like shackled up in a commune somewhere working together to to kind of make the community work that way instead of monetarily. Yeah, it just depends on like, sometimes it depends on the stage of the cult because I know like uh, Jonestown initially when, when it was in California, the members uh, had jobs or like the Anthill kids initially they had jobs. But as the cult becomes more like aggressive more focused getting near their end game they'll encourage people to quit to move to do stuff like that but for some that aren't in the moments of like planning their demise uh that that thing can be seen happening at the very least a lot of cults will steal people's social security checks so yeah and there's that there is still that element here where um particularly the wealthy individuals of the cult would give up their trust funds to the cult itself so they were definitely siphoning money through those avenues as well and i'm sure obviously they took the paychecks for whatever jobs these people worked so there's still that financial aspect definitely i'm not denying that i just i felt i felt like it was weird it it felt like it was weird to me that they it's weird because it feels like they could get away right yeah. It's it's weird to like because you think in your head that these people have to be like twenty four seven pumped full of inspira- information indoctrination to stay inside this mind frame, but when they're allowed to like go out and leave and then come back, it's kind of more scary because it gives the idea that yeah. it's set in so well you don't need to constantly doctor it like it's it's yeah, already right. taken root. And they probably utilized their star clusters to some degree as well, <laughs> like made sure that there was also a, a, always a co-worker who was aligned with the cult working at the same time, mm. stuff like that, so they could still keep a, keep a check they on They worked things. in star clusters, perhaps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also another interesting note during this period in Dallas was that they um, they literally paid people to leave the cult if they if they weren't considered devoted enough. They literally paid members to leave. Oh, a severance check is so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, like a little retirement fund. <laughs> Bro, easiest paycheck of your life. Show up, be a pain for an hour, take your check, get out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wonder how much they were paid. I didn't have any information on that. that that's but, yeah. like that's how you know a cult's doing too well. They can lose members and be like, bye, thanks. They can lose members, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for later. trying it. Yeah. yeah, thanks for trying. They only wanted the most devoted. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they had a, like an exit review or anything like that? <laughs> There's a survey like you picked a, up on like your a way Google out. Google form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, they paid people to leave, and it was it was all going well. They they still implemented tests at this point as well, where they would make cult members stand outside for days, waiting for a UFO to show up, and then they'd come out and say psych, <laughs> basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's just funny. That's just good practical <laughs> That's joking. That's a good prank, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, God, God's coming. Ha uh, ha you, you looked, idiot. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a way of obviously testing their faith. Those that didn't course, stay yeah. out there for the, the days were kicked out of the cult without severance payments. Mm. Um, but those that stayed were obviously, they passed the test and they would continue to allow to, <laughs> the privilege of being with the cult. So, like this 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 time period was just kind of all messy really it was just all of that it was just like in dallas they were working they were continuing to spread their gospel and they were continuing to consolidate power and then in 1983 something enormous happened that just irreparably shifted the cult to where it ends up bonnie nettles 
had to have her eye removed due to cancer and she passed away from cancer several years later in a hospital alone. Mm. Marshall Applewhite never told her family. Well, <laughs> didn't tell her family until six months after they passed, after she passed away. And it said that this loss devastated Applewhite just completely. It sent him into a deep depression and it also devastated his theology <laughs> and That's his true. idea of what yeah. the cult was because... Um, well, it, it, it w- devastated it to the members because reading it here, he had talked about how when they ascend to the next level, it's like the whole body ascends. But since yeah. Bonnie died, her body can't ascend. So it's a huge hole in the whole belief system to the members. Plus, yeah, like his yeah. whole thing with the two from Revelation is that the two of them were to die together in some grand fashion. Right. And she died alone in a hospital room. So that collapses yeah. Yeah. that belief as well. Yeah, especially yeah, this since was a precarious time. Yeah, they were supposed to be taken by the aliens, and the aliens did did not take Bonnie. Yeah, yeah. You think you think of it. So the death that they refer to is not a death in the common sense. It's more of like a an abduction. Like the bodies are bodies in the the vessels and the spirits are taken by the aliens to go to the next level. It's a death in the like. I guess the metaphorical sense, right? It's a passing from one state to another, not a death as in like Bonnie's just died of cancer. Right. Like that's completely, that's completely different. And it made the theology impossible. And he needed to change the doctrine now to (laughs) include death, which is where we are. Obviously we can kind of see where this is going already. um, (laughs) Now that death has to be a central part of the idea. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious where this has to go. Um, so as an attempt to, this was an interesting note, as an attempt to fix the broken belief system, uh, because members were obviously asking what happened to T or pig or <laughs> whatever, peep or whatever the other fucking names they chose. Yo, where's pig? What, what, <laughs> where's that pig of yours? <laughs> where's your pig wife at? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they had to. So he had to. He had to come up with an excuse, and he said that Bonnie had too much spiritual energy. She was overflowing like a battery. She had to release her soul in order to reach the next level. There was just too much spiritual energy inside for her to handle. So the cup running she, over. Me yep, when I exactly. get someone killed, the next ah, oh, their, their energy just woo took it off. That's crazy. <laughs> It's hilarious. Someone yeah. you know dies, and you're just like, "Man, she did you see that? That was wild. <laughs> Way too much energy." <laughs> <laughs> so there's another quote here from Chuck Humphrey. If one of you wants to read it, from 1975, he was a cult member from 1975 to 1977. So he he's actually still a believer, which is interesting. So if you want to read it there, I think I did the last Chuck one, so I'll do it again. It put not just do to the test, referring to Applewhite. But it put all of us to the test of our commitment to the next level. Do we think this is real or do we think this is just a con game? So it planted that seed of doubt, clearly. Yeah. 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 It's definitely, I mean, it was, again, antithetical to their entire basis of their belief system. <laughs> so if the, if the individuals of the cult see that one of the disciples, one of the two witnesses is dead and the other is still alive, it throws everything up in the air. So obviously there would be a lot of doubt there at that moment. I mean, if, if God dies, like, where do you go from there? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you, how do you change the belief system in order to fix that? So Applewhite was depressed after this point, increasingly depressed and became a lot more eccentric and manic. 
he it was at this point that some of the more cult i mean it's already a very cult like cult but it got more cultish he symbolically married all of his followers and told them that their so-called salvation would come through him and him alone. He stripped any kind of freedom that the cultists may have previously enjoyed, and he also stripped away any of the kind of like semblances of scientific language <laughs> in the in the cult's doctrine. Like, uh, not that there was much there to begin with, but he still he he kind of shifted to a more charismatic and faith-based uh, system, where he he continued to paint himself as the Jesus-like figure. That was their salvation, and he required their complete and utter devotion. To solve the theological issues that Bonnie's death had created, Applewhite decided that to ascend to the next level, the body would die, and the soul would be resurrected and brought up to the next level instead. They would then be placed into a new body on the alien spaceship. And that continued. That continued for... He continued for the next 10 years, basically, operating under this kind of uh, belief system. His delusions would grow. His paranoia grew, especially was it at this time that Waco happened? Uh, what year Stuff is like this? That. About this would be like 1993. Yeah, 93 was Waco. Yeah, yeah. So it was around that time that he was seeing other cults being taken down, and his paranoia was growing due to that. And the more apocalyptic elements were started started to be introduced into the cult's theology more directly. In that there were there was an alien race that was puppeteering. Uh, Luciferian figures mm. in the world, and uh, the government was out to get them. Stuff like that. He was he was very heavily deluded. There, there's a lot of like you can see all the different pieces that are putting together where this leads. His wife dies, mm-hmm. so therefore death has to become a part of it now. Uh, the world is getting worse. People with strange belief systems are being attacked. It's very easy to demonize the government as an agent of this chaos. Like. Yeah, you can you can see where the pieces are falling into place. Yeah, it becomes a it becomes a very chaotic situation from this point on. In 1993, they changed their name to Total Overcomers Anonymous. Not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure why they they uh, they stuck to the whole anonymous thing. So Total Overcomers. <laughs> They also incorporated a new naming system. I'm not sure if it was at this point or earlier, but they started. They removed all semblances of identity from from the individuals and all sex characteristics as well. So everyone had to have shaved heads or you know the same haircut, and no sex characteristics were able to be shown. The naming system was interesting. You would take two consonants. Uh, the first consonant would be capitalized, and then the second one I think would be doubled, and then you would add od on the end. So if I would take my name and remove all the vowels and stuff and take the first two consonants, I would be J-C-C-O-D, which would be Jacody, And that's how everyone referred to themselves. Wait, so you take... You, uh, uh, fun game, kids. Figure out your Heaven's yeah, Gate I'm cult name. Yeah, I'm actually really struggling here. So hold on. You take... Yeah. Say that again. You take your first name... So take the first two consonants... Of my, your, of my name, name. Of my first name. Yeah. Which, which for yeah. me is... Well, my name's Isaiah, so it's all vowels. So it's S-H... Okay. Yep. And then, and then you double the set. I think you doubled the second consonant, so it would be S H H. Okay. And then you add Odi. So my name's Shikodi. 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 Fucking fire. Mine's kind of cool too. So mine would be Chody. Chody. Bro, you're getting bullied out of the cult immediately. That's awesome. We are dog following you instantly. Yo, look at this guy, Chody. Look at. Can't even join a cult without getting bullied. Unlucky. 
That's the worst, bro. <laughs> Shody and Shody. So <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Oh man. All right, kids. You you heard of in the comments? Yeah, drop <laughs> drop, them, drop, drop those cult names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. This is so good. <laughs> Apple White also at this point, uh, they must have been making a lot of money. He paid for a thirty thousand dollar ad in USA today. Oh god. Brought in only an extra twenty people to the cult. So at this point the cult was running at about forty six members. Because a lot of people left after Bonnie died, right? Because yep. it was eighty at one yep. point. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Yep. So they were struggling to bring back members, so they thought an ad in USA today would be their answer. Uh, it did. It, I mean, it brought in 20 people, but it, that's a bad return on investment at $30,000, 1990 money, which yeah. would be way more now. Guys, I know how we can grow the podcast. I'm just, I just need $30,000. Is the USA, USA today, today still around? Yeah, yeah it yeah. is. Okay, sweet. I, would, I, I tried to find the ad, but I couldn't. I would be interested to know what that looked like. Um, so yeah, this continued for a while there. Uh, like I said, they removed all of the sex characteristics from their identity. And this is probably the, well, beyond the unaliving that is about to take place. This is probably the darkest aspect or the most, I guess the biggest, the biggest act of devotion, I would say he took, I think it was six members with him to Mexico to castrate themselves. Mm. So they collectively went and castrated themselves, believing that it was the final vestige of humanity tying them to their to their vehicles, what they called their vehicles, which was their bodies. So it was the final act of cleansing. Um, there's a quote here from Michael Conyers again, if you want to read that, based around that conversation. Yeah, so... I'm highlighting uh, Marshall Applewhite was talking about how far... Uh, would you go in order to attain your mission? And so he evidently was entertaining, castrating himself, getting rid of the human need to reproduce or that hormonal impulse to be attracted to the opposite sex or to be attracted to any sex. I started going, whoa, I don't know if I, I can't really go for this. Yeah. So I think that was the point where a few members may have left, including Michael. <laughs> when, I, I'd say that would be my asked. exit point as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if I was asked to castrate myself, uh, that that's yeah, that's not. I I mean, but people did. Ten people did. Or I mean, nine, I guess, uh, did do it. So that just speaks to the level of devotion. I mean, what speaks more to the level of devotion though is shortly after that, in October 1996, the group rented a mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, California, which you may have, uh, which you may remember from the beginning story. In fact, the story at the very beginning of the podcast. Mm. That very same mansion, believe it or not, I, I didn't come up with that out of thin air. That, that was a that was a real mansion. This would be that would go on to become the final site of the cult. It was also at this point that Applewhite heard about the Hale Bop comet, and he came to be convinced that trailing the comet was a spaceship that Bonnie was piloting. Mm. So <laughs> Bonnie mm. was was in charge of a UFO <laughs> behind the comet, and he was convinced that this was their ticket. To the next level. There's Bonnie, also Bonnie the section here. Psychic messages. Well, there's also the section here where you have that uh, he begins to incorporate the idea that Jesus is an alien, and that yep. like uh, this that he lives on another planet full of higher order beings. So the whole UFO behind this comment falls into the idea: Oh, Bonnie went to be with God, the place we're supposed to be, and now she's coming to pick us up. Yeah. 
yeah, so it still ties in that kind of uh, dual messenger thing to reincorporate Bonnie into the story, saying that okay, I because of our connection, because we're the two witnesses or whatever, I she's speaking to me telepathically. She's telling me she's in the ship behind the comet. Uh, this is our one ticket off, and so they uh, they updated the website. They put out a red alert, basically saying that this is our chance. The comet is flying over Earth, and this is going to be our moment. Um, they, they released a press statement on the website saying that we don't, we're, we're prepared to take any means necessary to board the ship. We believe that the ship will come land and pick us up in our vehicles, but we are prepared to take any action necessary in order to make the jump. And there's also an interesting message on the website. Uh, I think it's called their position against I mean, position against unaliving in which they talk about how they don't believe their action qualifies as unaliving. Them missing the ship is actually what would qualify as unaliving because they're choosing to go on to live in in a in a different plane of existence they're, they're choosing to continue yeah. to live uh, effectively the bodies that they have right now are just like a cage that their true forms inside of and their whole purpose yep. is to get on the ship as it passes so it would be suicide to not release yourself from the cage exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and that that's that's what all the cult members were convinced yeah it makes perfect sense to me i don't know why we didn't you know get on board with <laughs> yeah I, I also that whole idea of doing that and getting on the ship is very interesting because it, it to me it almost feels like video game-esque with like a respawn point like they think that if they do it any other time they don't get to that ship it has to be in close proximity and then there's like a certain amount of distance it can be that they can make it because yeah. otherwise why wouldn't they just do it instantly the second he got telepathically talked to by bonnie that she's piloting the ship yeah yeah, yeah it's like a proximity issue yeah there's a proximity issue there she has to be close enough to beam them up i'm not sure if there was an explanation by Applewhite talking about that if anyone i i don't think anyone in the cult that was still there at this point would have even asked i think they were that devoted that they're like yep makes perfect sense have to unalive ourselves to get teleported up using the grav lifts or whatever to yeah though to be fair though it does sound like initially he painted it as it's going to come down and pick us up so then they could just you know walk on board but when that didn't happen maybe in a panic he's just like okay now do this and we'll automatically get transported there so they didn't even stop to think about how ridiculous that was yeah uh i don't think so i I mean this all happened pretty quickly like in i think the month leading up to hell hell bop uh coming you know orbiting earth or whatever it was crossing over earth um i don't think it happened like that because again the the message on the website paints a picture that they knew all of their options and i think marshall knew that unaliving was going to be the route that they had to Mm. take i don't think he was delusional to the point where he believed that the spaceship was actually going to land. He was, he was at this point, he was so mentally unwell, depressed and looking for a way out that I think he wanted to commit unalive. And this was his way of way of doing that, I guess, while retaining his image. He had to take his cult with him to continue his delusions. I think this was his, his way out. Yeah. So on March 22nd, 1997, Applewhite, as well as 38 cult members dressed in Nike shoes and black uniforms that were inscribed with patches that read Heaven's Gate Away Team, which by the way, that is, that, that is weirdly cute. Like they were wearing uh, like baseball 
outfits, I guess. Like they're the, they're the away team. Well, Get going back, a to lot the home of people team. have interpreted uh, interpreted have interpreted uh, the outfits they're wear- wearing to have a lot of symbolism around it. So, like Nike's motto, "Just do it." Um, oh, yeah. I didn't or like that, yeah. they had the they had. Uh, I mean, you're going to mention it in a second, the money and stuff like that. But there's a lot of symbolism in like the clothing they were wearing and stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't know what the Nikes meant, but I guess that could be a potential reason for that. Or maybe he just liked Nikes. Maybe, just like maybe Nikes. they were just really comfortable. Yeah. He, he had to choose a kind of shoe anyway, if they were all going to wear the same shoes. Uh, another, another thing to point out, like, I, I, I know, like, we mentioned it, but like with the exit statements, um, like their final words before they all die. I've I've seen that video and like the saddest thing about it to me is you can just tell from the way a lot of these people are talking that they're clearly like not well mentally. Um yep. a lot of them are the type of people who can be easily manipulated or they have like some kind of learning disability. Uh so to hear them talk about how they're gonna go join this greater form to reach this greater place, leave their vehicles. Um it it's it's tragic how evil the actions of this cult are, regardless of how in on it Apple White was or not. It's a it's it's very tragic all around. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it is mentally unwell people being kind of guided to a path that they didn't or a conclusion that could have entirely been avoided yeah. through so many different avenues. So many different. Like I said at the start, it's like a perfect storm of two people with delusions meeting each other. One being, uh, unfortunately, charismatic enough to be able to spread that message without, without too much resistance, and then it coming to a point where they were able to brainwash susceptible people into continuing to believe their beliefs, and then also that person becoming depressed enough, and. Uh, his proclivity for unalive high enough where it ended in this in this way. There was just so many off ramps, you know. And plus, too, like it is the natural endpoint of all these different philosophies. Like, I'm God, she was God, or effectively, like I'm the messenger, or whatever. And then she's dead, so her soul must have gone on. And so now my soul needs to go on, and the follower's soul needs to go on. Like it. It, it, in a weird way, it makes there's sense. No other end point. Yeah, there's no other endpoint for everything that w- this had been building up to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it needed to end this way because the religion wouldn't be able to continue on past the two primary figures, the two you know biblical figures that they had painted themselves off to be. So it, there was only one way out. <clears throat> and yeah, over the course of three days in this mansion, they would commit a series of unalive. Uh, unalive events where members consumed barbiturates as well as alcohol in order to fall asleep and stop breathing. They would also place sacks over their heads and then wait for death, basically. Applewhite was one of the very last to die and his unaliving was assisted by four people who would then also commit unalive after Applewhite was confirmed to have been deceased or metamorphosed. Each body was also then found to have been left with $5 of nickels, but there's no direct explanation in the writings as to why. Um, I'm sure you guys immediately also thought the same as I did in that it was a bus fare, basically, like uh, like how the river sticks, Caron would you know, need payment in order to ferry people across the, the river sticks. That's, that's the only thing I could think of. Like, it's a bus fare for the UFO, basically. Yeah, um, there was... Gosh, I'm having trouble remembering it right now. Uh, 
let me look at this. I'd forgot about this detail. I would have looked it up beforehand, but there was something to the effect of, um, it comes from a song. If I remember right, cause they ate applesauce too. Like the thing that killed them was like an applesauce yeah. blend. Um, it was something about a song about like all you need to get to heaven is a few dollars and apples. I'll, f- I'll find the exact reference here in a second. Uh, but similar oh. to the Nike thing, I think it was kind of symbolism of what they were doing. Right. More direct symbolism from some kind of song. Yeah, yeah. Was it a biblical song or was it a modern pop culture song? No, I'm looking for it no, right it now. No, it pop culture. It was like a pop culture reference, yeah. Charlie's Charlie's wheelhouse. Yeah, trust yeah, Charlie's me. in on it. <laughs> I don't think it'd be a, a religious song talking about needing money to get into heaven or something. So, <laughs> um, so there's a there's a quote here from Marshall Applewhite uh, that was posted onto the website. I think shortly before the um the act was taken. Charlie, do you want to read it? You can follow us, but you cannot stay here and follow us. You would have follow. Oh, you would have to follow quickly by also leaving this world before the conclusion of our leaving this atmosphere in preparation for its recycling. Yeah. So he was still, at the the final moments, he was trying to convince the world to follow in his actions. Which is weird, because I thought the whole idea of the religion was that you had to go, you had to undergo rigorous cleansing. You had to cleanse your spirit of all the things that held it back. But now he's saying, you can just do it. <laughs> you, don't need to, you don't need to follow any of the teachings. Just, just, just do what we did. And then quick, get on. Like, quick, yeah. quick, get on the ship. Bonnie's got so much room. <laughs> do you think that the uh, the other cult members read that and were like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Wait, they got castrated for nothing? <laughs> the, yeah, it's uh, like, come on, man. During the, I remember this, during the unaliving or the, the rising, I should say, they wore patches that said Heaven's Gate away team, mm-hmm. implying that they were like traveling to the game they were supposed to be on. Um, yeah. Yeah, like a baseball team. Yeah, like yeah. a baseball team. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of, it's, it's so morbid because of what it led to. Um, it's also really depressing because you see you see where like this was appealing to a lot of people who could be easily swayed by stuff. It's 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 equally interesting and sad. Yeah, it's a really fascinating event overall. But I mean, thirty nine people uh, fell victim to to this kind of pressure. It is it is sad. So they also I I did include the uh, conclusion of Chuck Humphrey's. Uh, quotes here because there was an interview with him that I watched where he w- he was talking about his experiences in the cult and he had a very interesting final statement regarding his regrets for not being there at the end uh, if one of you wants to read it I'll take Chuck again here I wish that I was with them it's not really a regret in the sense that gee I lost my chance at a million dollar lotto because I lost the ticket or I didn't play today it's more of a kicking myself for not having done enough of my own homework as long as I'm still here, I can't do anything but share what I know about the next level and about Heaven's Gate. So I say even beyond even beyond the action, they're still devoted members. It's really funny that, that they got left behind to run the website. It's like, no, you don't get to go to heaven. This is more important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chuck Humphrey did still die. He just didn't die in the mass unaliving event. So... He was unsuccessful in an attempt and then in 1998 tried again and took his own life. Apparently, mm. he like attached a tent to his car exhaust based on what mm. I can find. Right. 
That interview I watched must have been from before that then, yeah. It would yeah, he did a lot of interviews uh, like after the massive departure, the metamorphosis. He did do quite a few interviews from what I can tell. And then mm. the following year took his own life. See, it's just like even even beyond the actual cult itself, like the the cult actions that led to the metamorphosis, like it's just it persisted for a while after that. There were still people that believed it in like intrinsically the brainwashing was that successful yeah it was very deep brainwashing uh, here's a, here's a whole article about it from 1998 on cbs called do not revive so oh, he yeah. he right. did it to himself in a desert in western arizona wearing dark clothes like the 39 cult members the previous year and also he's that desperate to follow in their footsteps yeah yeah. Imagine if he was revived, though, and you <laughs> dragged him back from the next level. <laughs> He's on the spaceship, like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Getting pulled to wait, her. It's like the way. <laughs> no, they opened the airlift. <laughs> dragged back down. He's like, you sons of bitches. It was perfect up there. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. There's a quote here from, uh, from Heaven's Gate Away Team Returns to Level Above Human in Distant Space from their press release that says during a brief window of time some may wish to follow us if they do it will not be easy the requirement is to not only believe who the representatives are but to do as they did but to do as they and we did you must leave everything of your humanness behind this includes the ultimate sacrifice and demonstration of faith that is the shedding of your human body if you should choose to do this Logistically, it is preferred that you make this exit somewhere in the area of the west or southwest of the United States, but if this is not possible, it is not required. You must call on the names of T and O to assist you. In so doing, you will engage a communication of sorts, alerting a spacecraft to your location where you will be picked up after shedding your vehicle and taken to another world by members of the kingdom of heaven. So, I mean, that's crazy. Um... And again, to your point, Charlie, if you could just do it and send out a signal to the fucking spaceships to come pick you up, what was the point of the Halley's Bob Comet? Yeah, it doesn't sound like you needed that at all. They could have just uh, done it at any point. Uh, hold on. I found you can also insert this anywhere to make me look less stupid, or you could leave it here and we can yeah, just leave it the in. stupidity. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so the $5.75, they had $5.75 in their pocket which is a reference to a Mark Twain story in which it said it cost five seventy five to ride the tail of a comet to heaven. So, mm. so it's a reference, not a song, but an old Mark Twain story. Uh, there are other people who said, uh, other former cult, cult members who said they would keep change in their pocket whenever they left the house. So they think maybe it was symbolic of we're leaving the house, quote unquote, to go to heaven. So that's why they had it in their pocket. Uh, but a, a former member stated the Mark Twain story, uh, which right. I mean, like the fact that the Mark Twain story says five seventy five to ride the tail of a comet to heaven sounds pretty, you know, conclusive. I On think. the nose, yeah, yeah, I agree, exactly. Um, to to end this, to end this, I think uh, this explanation for why this ended the way it did from an institu- uh, a professor from the Institute for the Study of American Religion, Dr. Gordon Melton. I think this is a very interesting quote. In the case of Heaven's Gate, originally the shift was to a waiting mode. We are waiting, and during this time of waiting, we will prepare ourselves, we will purify ourselves, we will cleanse ourselves, we'll make ourselves beings fit for the spaceship when it finally arrives. That's a dangerous mode, because eventually you have to give up the waiting. 
I think that's interesting because that is kind of the personification or or it just sums it up so nicely that their entire time was spent waiting for something and then it finally it it finally had to happen. Doe or Marshall Applewhite was backed into a corner of his own making and this was what he considered his only way out and that's why it happened. Mm. And I think I think there's it's a succinct a succinct way of kind of summing it up. I think that's everything though. I think we've kind of touched on everything unless you guys had anything additional to add. Maybe maybe more about the website. I don't know who's still maintaining it. I couldn't figure out who was still maintaining the website. I mean we could do it. <laughs> if they, if they asked us to, we could probably throw our two cents in. As I look at a picture of a dead guy in Nike shoes, like we got it covered. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've I've no idea who's maintaining it either. Uh, yeah, GoDaddy just keeps it up for posterity. <laughs> but uh, no, there has to be someone working on it, keeping it alive. I, I'm sure the original fucking Space Jam website is still up. There's people that maintain <laughs> websites for some reason. But for <laughs> just a little additional information, I think if anyone's ever curious, I remember watching some of the Heaven's Gate tapes. They're on YouTube now. I just yeah, double checked. All of them are on YouTube. Well, they're still on the yep. website. They're also on the website. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. They're on the website still. Well, three of them are. I don't know about how many are on YouTube. There's uh, no, they have like all, like every single Heaven's Gate tape is on YouTube, like all of their initiation ones and everything. Interesting. Well, yeah, I go go watch it to just kind of see the level of brainwashing on effect, the level of delusion on effect. Yeah, go watch a super then, depressing think, video of like mentally unwell people <laughs> moments before they quote unquote elevate. <laughs> That's a good yeah, weekend Jesus. activity. Yeah, it's a fun Christmas activity <laughs> for the holiday season. Gather around with the family by the fireplace. <laughs> Instead of watching uh, Elf or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, you can watch the Heaven's, Heaven's Gate, Gate tapes. <laughs> you get your grandma to turn on the Heaven's Gate exit statements. Oh my gosh. What a Christmas. Oh, I should what try a, that. What a holiday. Yeah. Um, I think that's oh, everything for so me sad. though. I, there's there's a lot like there is so much here. There's 24 pages. I'm gonna link the the uh, document will be linked in the show notes down below the description, so you're able to peruse it, look at our research. I we didn't we didn't touch on everything obviously because we're already at two hours and it's just there's so much. Yeah, he's got a lot written here about like their philosophy, a lot of their like the prophecies that they used to justify what they did. Like Jackson's a machine. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Yeah, I wish we could have touched more on their philosophy and like the 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 specific manipulations that they that they utilized. But I yeah, we've, we've I think we did a good job going over the core, you know, events, painting a picture of of everything there without needing to go into unnecessary detail and things like that. Yeah, I think so as well. That was so cool. I'm so it, it, you do such a good job at these. Incredibly depressing, but great job. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, great job, Jackson. Well, next next time will be a cryptid or something less depressing. <laughs> you want to yeah, talk about Mothman next? <laughs> you want to be less? <laughs> we've had we've had Jackson like reading about the the most tragic like group unaliving ever, and it's like, uh, you doing good, man? How's <laughs> ah? They have funny names. Just do it. Am I right? Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was super interesting because my. 
my information or my understanding of Heaven's Gate was basically the same as your guys going in, like the um, just just the unaliving event itself, just because it's so prevalent in pop culture, like it's referenced in a lot of things like Family Guy and shit like that. Yeah. So I th- that was my understanding of it, and then just to go into the the gritty details about everything, just the collapse of their lives, the in the, the leaders' lives that would then shift to this kind of. This kind of just sad, tumultuous end was that, yeah, by, was by was the lot. end. There's like that sad mention that the police couldn't; they had trouble identifying the bodies because all of them uh, had their hair cut the same way. They all looked the same way. I remember reading something about this cult that they were so particular that like they made sure their pancakes were the same size every day for everyone, so no one got bigger or smaller. Like everyone looked exactly the same, and then they all died together wearing the same uniforms. Um, same thing in their pockets. All of them had their apparently their IDs with them, which is how you know the police identified them. Um, it it's it's tragic all around how all these people had their identities, their personalities ripped away from them ultimately to just die at a house in California. So thanks, Jackson. That's real depressing. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jackson. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Red Thread. Uh, thank you all for listening to this long one. I uh, really appreciate it. If you if you want to uh, help us out, the best way to do it really at this point is just to share it with friends. Just send it to like-minded people who like learning about stuff like this or listening to three, well, I, I don't know what to call us now. Three idiots. <laughs> <laughs> three goofballs. There uh, you go. Chat about this kind of stuff. Uh, with pop culture references thrown in for good measure uh, this is the place to do it at the red thread there'll be links below to Spotify other stuff like that if you want to send us even higher on the charts Joe Rogan we're coming for you you son of a bitch we're right <laughs> on your heels you can do that if we if we pass Joe Rogan we have to do something there has to be some oh, kind will. of special what will, what will we do I don't know but we'll do something we'll do, yeah we gotta Crazy. do a thing we gotta do some physical well, no, right. thing. <laughs> let's not let's not say we'll do something crazy directly after talking about Heaven's Gate for two hours. No. Thank you all for watching the red thread. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Charlie, take us out of here. Thanks, everybody. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Thank you. Everyone. <laughs> that was it. All right, <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>